So uh, we're continuing in our series. It's called Disciplines, How to Train Ourselves Up in Godliness. So what this series is all about, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, is about us looking at just eight different spiritual disciplines that we can put in our lives for how we can grow in our faith. And so we've looked at, let's say, Bible intake, we've looked at prayer, we've looked at worship, uh, we've looked at serving, and so this week we are looking at uh, the biblical concept of stewardship. So we're looking at stewardship. Before we start, anybody want to give a guess of what you think stewardship is? Anybody? All right. Good time. So making use of what you have. Sorry, what did you say, Caleb? I said accountants. Okay, accountants. Okay. So stewardship, think of it like management. Like we're managing what we've been given. And so we're going to look at tonight, God has given us, at least the two we're going to look at specifically is time and money, and how God gives us that, and how we are to biblically manage that and practically apply that. But I want to ask y'all a question to start with that I want to hear your answer on. When someone asks you, hey, why don't you read your Bible more? Or why don't you pray more? What is the number one reason that most people give? I'm too busy. I don't have time. Is that's the number one reason? Well, I'm just so busy. I don't have enough time. And, and I would say as far as busy goes, yeah, all of us are definitely busy. That's just the world and society we live in. All of us are busy. All of us have a lot going on. But I want us to look at specifically time. Like we don't have enough time. So we need to discipline ourselves when it comes to time, because if we want to make time for reading our Bibles, make time for praying, make time for serving, then obviously we must make a discipline of how we manage our time on top of that. And so here's where I want uh, your iPhone weekly screen reports to come in. So I'll start, I'll be fully transparent. So I screenshotted mine from last week, and here's mine. Here's last week's average, yeah. Trust me, I was shocked too. So, so, so that's on av- apparently on average, there was about 10 hours and 41 minutes. Total screen time over last week was almost 75 hours. There's 168 hours in a week. So, they, uh, so that's, yeah, exactly. How do you do that? But here's the thing. I want to hear what y'all screen time reports are too. So what are, what are some of y'all's, what is y'all's total screen time from last week? Madison. Let's check. Two hours and 19 minutes. Okay, two hours and 19 minutes. Will? Two hours and 55 minutes. That's just last week alone? Yeah. Uh, so that's I last week. Not, this, this so not this week, last week. Uh, not this week, last week. So you should be able to just swipe it backwards. I want to see what y'all's are from last week. All right, what do y'all got? Gabby, what do you got? 93 hours. Madison. From last week, nine hours. Who else? Katie, what do you got from last week? Huh? 40. Naomi, what do you got? Okay. Emily, what do you got? Five hours. Emily, what you got? Huh? From last week? Wow. Okay. Like all hours. It should say total screen time. Man. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Preston. Huh? Zero. Wow. All right. So here. So let's let's rein it back in for a second. Here, guys. Guys, let's let's rein it back in for a second. So here's something else you can look at. You don't have to say it out loud, but a lot of times you think, man, where where am I spending 
all of this time on, if you start scrolling down, you will actually see how much time was spent on a particular app. So I think with mine, a majority of mine was on YouTube, I think was mine. Well, some of yours might be TikTok or something else. But here's the reality, is this is a beautiful example for all of us and convicting, if I'll be honest, of how we are handling and managing our time. So if, so, if someone says, man, I just don't have enough time. Well, we can easily look at this and go, well, you had enough time to watch YouTube or send Snapchats or go on Instagram or go on TikTok. And so this reflects how are we managing our time. And so we must be good stewards of not only our time, but our money, our energy, maybe the talents that God has given you, the abilities that God has given you, the spiritual gifts that God has given you, like we talked about last week. So tonight, we're going to look at the importance of being good stewards of specifically our time and money. And so I know when we get to money, that might not apply to a lot of you yet, because maybe you don't have jobs yet, you maybe don't have an allowance or anything like that. But I think it's important for us to understand the principles behind this, so that way you can start implementing these when you do get that job. Because it's important for us to get this now, because trust me, it'll get a lot more difficult later in life. And so it's so important for us to grasp this now, the importance of being good stewards. So we want to look at biblically why do we need to make good use of our time and money. And then we just want to really quickly look at practically how do we apply that. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump in and study this. So dear Lord, uh, we pray for tonight. We pray just that we would be good stewards of this time, that you would make the most use of this time. You would help us grow in our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, would you convict us of ways maybe that we are not using our time well and not using our money well? Or would you encourage us with ways maybe we are using it for your glory? Would you help us become more organized? Would you help us become more of the people of God you've called us to be, to, to manage what you've entrusted with us well? That as we do that and discipline our time, discipline our money, just have the spiritual discipline of stewardship. It helps us grow more in our relationship with you. It helps us become more of the family that you've called us to be here in that. But also it ultimately helps us make Christ's name known, which is our goal here at LSM. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to look at the disciplined use of time. So why must we be wise with our time? So we're going to look at about six different reasons why we must be wise with our time. The first one is this, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. You might think, what, what does that mean? So let's look at the passage that this comes from, which is in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. So have your Bibles. are going to be jumping around a lot, so, so get ready for that. So in Ephesians 5... 15 and 16, it says this, Look carefully then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So when Paul's writing this, he was talking about, let's say, persecution that the church in Philippi was going through, or Ephesus at the time was going through, and so how the days were evil. Now, we obviously might not be facing the same persecution as that church was, but we still live in days that are evil. So what do we mean by evil? We mean by evil is that we live in a world that naturally wants us to pull us away from Christ. So things we see around us, the philosophy of this world, it naturally wants us to pull us away from Christ. And so we must discipline our minds on this, because naturally our minds, our bodies, anything in our nature, we're born with a sinful nature, so naturally we want to fulfill that desire of a sinful nature. And everything in the world around us wants to feed us that. So we must be disciplined in that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says that we must take captive every thought in order to obey Christ. So think about this. Every thought that you have throughout the entire day, Paul says you need to take captive of every single one of those thoughts, no matter how random they are, in order to obey Christ. Because here's the thing. When we just put our mind in neutral, we might think we're putting it in neutral, not doing anything. 
But just like, let's say, water going down a stream, if we put our minds in neutral, we'll just naturally follow that stream. If we're, let's say, on a ship and we just put the ship in neutral, guess what? We're naturally going to drift wherever the water takes us. And so if we just put our minds in neutral in this world where the days are evil and it wants to just fulfill our sinful desires, then naturally our minds and bodies are going to follow suit. So we must discipline our time and use it wisely to help us grow in Christ-likeness. So if we do not discipline our time for the purpose of Christ-likeness in the midst of a culture where the days are evil, then we will never grow in Christ-likeness. So we've got to be wise with our time because the days are evil. But next, just simply, time is short. The time is short. So look at what James says in his book. In James 4, verse 14, he says this. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So our life is but a vapor. So like a vapor where, poof, we see how quickly vapor comes in, quickly vapor goes out. That is our life. Our life is just here today and gone tomorrow. That life is short. Time is short. We really think about it. And the scarcer something is, the more we really value it, don't we? The more running low on something, the more we truly value it. Because time would be so precious if we never died. But since, since all of us have a starting date, a birth date, and a death date, that we're always a breath away from entering into eternity. Think about that for a sec. We're always one breath away from entering into eternity. Each breath that we take is a precious gift from God that he allows us to take. And so when we think about this, when we think about how time is short, especially in comparison to eternity, the longest life ever lived, no matter how long someone lives, it pales in comparison to eternity. In fact, just for fun, I looked up, okay, what is the longest life ever lived or at least recorded? Anybody wanna take a guess what they think is the longest life ever lived. 116. Okay, 116. Lawson. Huh? 123? Okay. Wait, are you talking about like today? Just in general, like over the course of history, what is the longest life ever lived? That's recorded. So we're talking about like more modern era, but you know what I mean. Gabby. So not biblical. So that just that that might help it narrow down some. Um, well, I was thinking biblical. I was gonna say three hundred. No, that's a fair point. Okay. Okay. So some of y'all are very close. It is it is by I'm gonna totally butcher the name. It is a French woman, so please forgive me. It is Jean or John Jean Calment at a hundred and twenty-two years and a hundred and sixty-five days. Think about living 122 years and 165 days. In our minds, like in our earthly minds, we're like, man, that is a long time. But when we compare that to eternity, it is like a drop in a gigantic ocean. Think about that. On our earthly life, we say that is a long time. But in comparison to eternity, it is like a small drop in a gigantic ocean. So regardless of how much time remains for us to develop more Christ-likeness, it, it really isn't much when we think about it. So we need to use that time that is short very, very well. So another reason we use our time well is because time is short. But another thing about time is time is passing. Time is passing. So in 1 John, in 1 John 2, uh, he gives us this passage. Uh, we'll look at 15 through 17, where it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world and love, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And then in verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So not only is time short, but time is fleeting. Time is constantly passing. So here's the thing. Time is not like a bag of ice that we can just pull out of the freezer and then use as much as we want and then put it back in the freezer and keep it there and pull it out wherever we want. That's not how time works. Time is just like an hourglass where we flip that over and the sand starts pouring down. It doesn't stop for anything. That's how like time is, that it just keeps going. It doesn't stop for anything. And so if that's the case, that shows that time is fleeting. So we need to use our time wisely, use our time the best that we can, because no matter how best we use our time, it cannot add pages back onto the calendar. So if time is short and time is fleeting, then we need to make the best of the time that we have right now. Because here's the thing, if we don't discipline our use, our time for the purpose of godliness and Christ-likeness now, let me tell you, it just gets more and more difficult later in life. The more you start adding more responsibilities, getting married, starting a family, working, college, all that stuff, it adds to it. So we need to even start right now. You got to start right now while you are young because you can do that now and helps you later in life. Because again, time is passing. But another truth, another reason, the remaining time is uncertain. The remaining time is uncertain. So in Proverbs 27, verse 1, we receive this truth. So Proverbs 27, verse 1, we see this. Do not boast about tomorrow, for if you do not know, for you do not know what a day may bring. So we're not to boast about tomorrow, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So what that means is that we don't know what'll happen. Is that I know it's tough for us to think when we're young, because we think, well, man, I'm gonna live till I'm 70, 80, 90 hopefully 122 years old, as we just talked about. And I want to do X, Y, and Z. I want to scratch this stuff off my bucket list. But in truth, we don't know how much time that we have. We really don't know how much time that we have on this earth. And so we need to be wise with that. Because here's the thing, regardless of how young we are, regardless of how strong we are, regardless of how popular we may be, regardless of what our stature is in society or at school or on our sports teams, that does not obligate God to give us an additional hour of life. And so the time that we have remaining is totally uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. In fact, the psalmist gives us this. In Psalm 31, verse 15, he gives us this truth because here's the reality of it. In verse 15, it says this, My times are in your hand meaning our times, our life is in the hands of God. And so it is very prideful for us to say, okay, if if all of time is in God's hands and he has everything planned from beginning to end, it's very prideful for us saying, hey God, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use it for myself. And I'm going to give you my 5, 10, 15, 25, 50 year plan. I'm going to submit it to you. Thanks in advance for cooperating with my plan. It's very prideful of us. Instead, if all of time is in God's hands, we say, okay, God, if all of time is in your hands and you have a plan from beginning to end, then what, how do you want me to use my, your time that you allow me to give, that you give to me and allow me to manage? Because the remaining time we have is uncertain, so we need to trust God with that. So why not trust the one that holds all of time in his hands and is outside of time? The next one, time lost cannot be regained. Time lost cannot be regained. So let's see this truth in John 9, verse 4, where Jesus is giving, uh, where Jesus just healed a blind man, and then he gives us this uh, verse in verse 4. We must work the works of him, meaning God the Father, who sent me, me meaning Jesus, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So what that means is while we still have life, we need to keep working for God. 
So while it's still daytime, daytime meaning we have this life and we're in this world. Before night comes, night comes meaning when we pass away or night means when the end of the world comes, that while it's still daytime, while we still have life, while we still have breath in our lungs, we need to live for God. Then we need to use it for God, for the works of Him. For the works of God who gave us birth, who sent us, who placed us where we're at, who gives us these things to manage, that's where to use it for. Because think about this. If, if all the time lost cannot be regained, then think about this. You could gather up 100% of all the money in the world and 100% of all the technology in the world. And you could get 100% of everybody on the face of the earth to give 100% effort to trying to regain time. And you know what's going to happen? You will not regain back even one single second because the time cannot be regained. Think about this. This second that just passed now, we can't get back. Or that one. Or that second. Or that second. Yeah, so if, the, so if the time cannot be regained, then we need to make the best use of our time. If we misuse the time God offers us, he never offers us that time again. Now, I know a lot of this might sound really bleak right now, but here's what I want to encourage us with is another passage of Scripture when it comes to time and how Christ can redeem anything. So in Philippians 3, verses 13 through 14, this is how we should look at the rest of our lives from here on out. This is what Paul says. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So maybe up to this point tonight, you think, man, I I have wasted a lot of time. I have spent many hours on YouTube or TikTok or other things from the report. And it's like, I feel bad about it. I regret that. But here's the beauty is that Christ not only forgives us of that, but Christ says, I can absolutely use any of that. And he redeems our time. So we forget what lies behind us. Okay, we forget. Okay, I might not have done the best in my past, but Christ is like, look, I redeem that. I forgive you of that. And then we keep moving forward by his grace, living for him as we work towards the goal in heaven, seeing him there. That Christ can redeem and forgive all of that. And that is a beautiful encouragement too. So not only is all of time held in the hands of Christ, But if it gives us of all the times maybe we have mishandled that use of time, he can redeem our time even now and help us live for him the rest of our lives, regardless of what that may be. That it might be a short time span and Christ can do immaculate things even in a short time span. And that is a beautiful encouragement for us and for y'all right now. So you cannot, the time lost cannot be regained. And then the last reason why we must use our time wisely, which I think honestly is the most sobering and the most convicting, is you are accountable to God for your time. You are accountable to God for your time. So listen to what Paul tells us in Romans 14, verse 12. He gives us this truth. He says, So then, each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. So every single one of us in this room is going to have and give an account to God for how he managed what he entrusted to us. So our time, our money, our energy, our talents, everything. We're going to have to give an account for that. And then we just see uh, in the next book over, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13 through 15, Paul writes about what's going to happen at the judgment. So listen to what it says here. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day, day meaning the judgment day, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So first, very important for us to understand, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The only foundation that saves us from that judgment is the foundation of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Okay? That is very important for us to understand from here on out, is that it is only our life, repenting of our sins, believing in Christ, and receiving salvation. That is the only foundation. But then what happens from there is now that we built this foundation, now the rest of our lives is, okay, what are we doing for Christ to build upon that foundation? Because again, Christ is the one that saves us. It's not us doing good works to save ourselves. It's not us doing good works to earn more brownie points with God and we're already saved. But what are we doing for Christ now that we're saved to build upon that foundation? And it says God will test it by fire. So if we're not truly living for Christ, that will be revealed by that. And it says, even though we are saved, it says, burning by fire, that we will suffer loss if we're not living for him. So not only will we be held accountable for our time, but think about this. Our eternal reward will be directly related to our use of time. So our eternal rewards in heaven, in the future, are directly tied to what we do today. So if God judges by what we did today for him, how well do you think that would go? Because we have to make the best use of our time. God has entrusted us with this. Because again, we don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much he will give it to us. And he's entrusting us to manage all of this well. And what I mean by this, that's not saying that we just drop everything and become monks. I don't want you to think that. I'm just like, well, I got to quit all of these sports and all of these other things I'm involved with. But it's how are we managing that? Or even how are you using that to glorify God and to point people to him? Because there might be a reason that God has placed you there to make Christ known in that area. Here's another one that I want us to think about in Matthew 12, verse 36. Here's another very sobering point that I just want us to think about for a second. Matthew 12, verse 26. Or, sorry, Matthew 12, verse 36, where it says this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So think about this. Every careless word, or to put it even more in 21st century context to help us more, every careless word we speak, every careless text we send, Every careless comment we put on a post, every careless TikTok that we make, every careless Snapchat that we send, every careless hashtag we put, every careless Instagram post that we make, every careless comments that we make, and how much time we spend on those different apps, we will have to give an account for. I don't know about you, but that's convicting. As you saw at the beginning, I have to give an account for 75 hours. I'm right in that boat with you. I have to give an account for that. So how are we making the best use of our time? And so in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus is giving the parable of the talents, where this king entrusted a different amount of talents to these servants and then went away for a while and then came back and said, what did you do with my talents? And some made a lot of it. Some invested some in more. Some just said, I buried it and do anything with it. And he punished one that didn't do anything with it. But the ones that did much, he's saying, that's awesome. I'm going to trust you with even more. God has gifted us, each one with talents. Each one of you is gifted in such a unique way. And that's what I love about our student ministry. 
is that each one of you is gifted with a unique personality, different athletic abilities, artistic abilities, that he's placed you in different schools, and he's entrusted you with that to make Christ's name known and to grow in Christ's likeness and point people to him in those areas. And that we're going to have to give an account for all of that. So what I encourage you with is evaluate your use of time now and spend it for Christ. That way when you stand before Christ in judgment, you will not regret it. And you will say, you know what? I, I lived a good life for Christ. So we're going to say, just, just look what Christ did in and through me. Because each hour that passes is another one for which we must give an account. So that's being disciplined with our time. But now we want to say, what is the disciplined use of money? So why must we be wise with our money? In fact, the first and foremost I want us to understand about money, for us to understand now, is in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says that we are to provide ultimately for our families first, financially. And that if we're not providing financially for our families, then we are just the same as an unbeliever. That is a severe accusation. So for me, my first priority when it comes to providing is providing for Rebecca. And I guess in this case, Hercules, my dog. That I need to provide for them. And then whenever, if God blesses with the children, I need to provide for them first. So the first thing you need to understand now is when you start getting older and we start starting your own families, you need to provide for them first. But how we use our money for ourselves or for others, and especially for the sake of God, is first to last a spiritual issue. Because how we spend our money reveals a lot of what the priorities of our heart are, or what we value the most, or what we place the most emphasis on. Because whenever you get a job, a lot of times we spend a lot of our time working in order to earn money. Is that we work X amount of hours, and then we get X amount of pay because we work X amount of hours. And so in a very real sense, our money represents us. It's an extension of us. So therefore, how we use our money reveals who we are, for it manifests, again, our priorities, our values, and truly our heart. So to the degree we use our money and resources for Christ, we prove our growth in Christ-likeness or our lack of growth in Christ-likeness. So why must we be wise with our money? So we want to look at just a few different reasons why we must be wise with our money. First one is God owns everything we own. So God owns everything that we own. So we see this repeated in Psalm 21, or sorry, 24 verse 1. And also in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, this truth. So in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So everything, God owns everything. Everything in the universe belongs to God ultimately. And so including everything we possess, because he created it. So everything that we possess, we may think we possess it, but ultimately God possesses it because he created it. So the iPhones that we used earlier, the clothes that are on our back, the shoes that we're wearing, even the abilities that we have, let's say the gaming systems that we use, everything, everything that we own ultimately belongs to God because he created everything. So that means if God created everything and we have these things, that means we are managers of what God has given us. Or to use the biblical word as we talked about, we are stewards of God. So God owns everything, so we own nothing. We don't own anything. God owns everything. And he's saying, I'm entrusting you with this and to use it for him and his glory. That is ultimately what he is doing. So God has specifically said that, that he owns not just the things that we possess, but even the money that's in our bank accounts. 
So you might have, let's say, that debit or credit card, and it might have your name on it, but ultimately God's name's on it because it belongs to God. Your name might be on the bank account, but ultimately it's God's name because it belongs to him. Your name might be on that driver's license and car title or anything, but guess what? That ultimately belongs to God because God owns everything, and he entrusts us with that to be managers of that because God owns everything that we own. Second reason, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Does anybody remember what worship is? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. What is worship? It's our response to the revelation of God. And so here's what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 18. Here is just one example that we have of this. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And hear this, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul describes this gift that the church in Philippi gave him, a fragrant offering or a sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to God. So this is the same type of language that would compare to the Old Testament when they gave a sacrifice for worship of God. So Paul said that this church's giving is an act of worship. Us giving to God is us worshiping God. So do you realize that giving to God is one of the biblical and tangible ways that we can adore him and worship him? Us giving of our time, let's say serving the church and serving each other, that's an act of worship. Us giving money, let's say tithing to help towards, let's say, the work of missionaries or the work of the church to make Christ's name known is that is an act of worship that we are so in awe of God as we talked about worship. We're so in awe of God that we can't help but respond and say, look, I want to give money and give my time so that way I can advance the kingdom of God, that it's an act of worship. So giving goes beyond just like, let's say, a duty or an obligation. It's biblical giving gives just a heart. It shows us a heart that worships God. So giving is an act of worship. Here's another thing. Giving reflects faith in God's provision. Giving reflects faith in God's provision. So we see a story of this in Mark 12, uh, verses 41 through 44. This might be one known by some, but let's, let's just see this. So this is what it says. And he sat down, he meaning Jesus, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two copper pennies, which make, or two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So everything that this widow had to live on, she gave up. So we would think in our earthly mindset, we would see people putting, let's say, like just these, writing these big checks and putting in the offering plate or this big bag of money that's hundreds upon thousands of dollars in. And we see this one widow just put in a penny and we would say, man, those rich people are giving a lot. But Jesus saying, no, 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 the widow gave more. Why? Because with the rich people, they're like, well, I got all this excess money so I can just give it away. But this widow saying, this is all I have is a penny. And saying, I'm going to give it to God because I trust God. Since God owns everything, then I'm going to trust God that he'll provide for me that he owns everything and he'll be able to take care of me for that. And so the proportion of your income and your time that you give to God testifies to how much that we trust him. 
and that we trust him to provide for our needs. So here's kind of an example I thought of. This made me think of uh, actually when I was going through youth group and uh, one of the leaders we had, he gave us the sheet of paper and we worked with a, uh, a buddy and he gave us like a set amount of like dry beans and we would have like different things on there. So like important things to pay for like insurance or subscriptions or we'd have like fun things like entertainment and clothes and tithing. And he said, okay, you have X amount of beans and I want you to disperse that across all of these. Okay, so we did that and we, you know, put in what we wanted and we put how much we wanted on each thing. But they said, all right, I want you to half that. Now what are you going to do? And so honestly, you know what all of us did? The first thing we took away is, well, we'll just take the money away from tithing and we'll just move that towards something else because we need it for something else. But really, that should be the last thing we do because we want to say, look, even, even if stuff is halved, are we going to trust God to provide for us? Again, that means we're wise with our money. That's not meaning we're being just silly or ignorant of it, but we trust God with that. But you know what happens? I think a lot of times with not only our money, but also our time, that's a lot of times how we might treat our relationship with God is that if money gets tight, the first thing we take away of is, well, I'll just take away the tithing so I can use it for something else. Or, probably going to step on some toes here, sorry in advance, well, sorry, not sorry, I guess, but when we get really caught up in, let's say, travel sports, or going to the lake, or bands or things like that, what is the first thing we do? Well, we can miss a Sunday. It's okay, we'll just watch online. Or we'll just, we at least attend at least twice a month, so that's okay. Or we'll sacrifice Sunday night, or Wednesday night, or Sunday morning is that that must be the first thing we hold in line, is that how are we managing our time and how are we managing that? And again, please hear me. I'm not saying that you drop all of this. I'm not saying you drop all this and become a monk. Because in fact, like I said, God might have divinely placed you there and you'll be able to reach people there that not other people will reach. So please hear my heart on that too. We've got to be careful on that. So we will give to the extent we believe God will provide for us. So think about this. How much time we spend to God and how much money we give to God reflects how much we truly trust in God. So the greater our faith that God will provide for us, a lot of times the greater our gift will be in money. And a lot of times the lesser we trust God, the lesser our gift will be. So our giving can be and probably already is a tangible indication of how much we believe God will provide for our needs. So giving reflects faith in God's provision. But the next, giving reflects spiritual trustworthiness. So giving reflects spiritual trustworthiness. So Jesus gives us, this, uh, gives us this truth in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. So we just talked about this parable of a dishonest manager. Jesus just taught this, and then he gives us this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is all another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if we're not faithful with the money that God entrusts us, it's saying God says you are spiritually untrustworthy. That's a hard thing for any of us here. We don't want to be considered untrustworthy. We want to be trustworthy people. We want to be people that can be counted on. And so in Scripture, it's saying, if, if we can't even be trusted with just a little bit that God gives us, how can he entrust us with the true riches, true riches being the heavenly gifts, the heavenly riches? How can we be entrusted with that if we can't even manage just a little bit? You know, if someone is poor and managing, let's say, a few dollars, we wouldn't say, well, we want you to be the CEO of a bank. 
You know what I mean? Like we, if, if they're trustworthy in little, then they'll slowly be trustworthy in so much more. And so how we manage our financial department, if you will, of our life is one of the best ways of evaluating our relationship with Christ and our spiritual trustworthiness. So our financial records tell a lot more about us than anything else. And as we've seen, we will have to give an account for that. So giving reflects spiritual trustworthiness. And this last one, generous giving results in bountiful blessing. So generous giving results in bountiful blessing. So look at what it says in Luke 6, verse 38. So we get this truth from God. Where it says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then in 2 Corinthians, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians verse 9, 6 through 8, Paul gives us this truth as well. When it talks about sowing and reaping and what that looks like. So 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So according to this text, if you give to God, these texts will say God will give back to you. Now, let me be very clear on this, too, because this can be taken and has been taken by some in very ungodly, heretical ways. God never says that if we give faithfully to him, that he will repay us with earthly blessings. So it's not saying if we give a little bit of money, then he will give us back, let's say, 10 times the amount of money we gave in. Or if we give a little bit of time and money in this, that he will give us, let's say, the supernatural healing. Now, God absolutely could bless us with money and he could bless us with healing. If he wants to, he is God. He can do what he wants. And we trust him with whatever that is. But what I mean by that is, just because let's say you give some money, let's say you give $5, it's not saying, well, if you give $5, you're going to get $5,000 back. What that is, is called the prosperity gospel. We might hear people say, well, if you sow a seed of $1,000, you might get, let's say, a million dollars back because you're being faithful in that. Or if you sow a seed of $1,000, you might finally get that healing from cancer, whatever it is. I'm going to be very blunt. That is total heresy. It is evil and it is wrong and it is distortion of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not what this is saying. But God does say he will bless us in this life if we love and trust him enough to be generous in our giving to him. That blessing might be, it might be a spiritual blessing. It might help us just grow more in our Christ likeness. It might be that we give and serve someone and we just feel so good about, hey, we're able to help them in their need. Like, for example, let's say we help all the people in Waverly, Tennessee, that have been being just ravaged by, let's say, all the flash flooding. I saw a post the other day that our uh, Tennessee Baptist Convention, they were part of, that they were saying how one of the pastors in Waverly, how they're seeing so many people come to Christ. And it's because people have been able to help give financially, giving whether it be Walmart gift cards, whatever else, and they've been able to use that and help other people. So people gave. It doesn't mean that they were able to give, oh, since you gave a $10 gift card, then you're going to get a $100 gift card. But because they gave that $10 gift card, they're able to help a church who's then able to help people in need, and they're able to point people to Christ, and people are coming to know Christ as their Savior. That is amazing. Because here's the thing, most of God's blessings for our giving 
however, might not be seen in this life. In fact, it might not be seen until heaven. We get on the other side of eternity. But here, it takes faith to believe that us giving on earth is laying up treasures in heaven. So let me, think about it this way. Imagine you just gave, let's say, a few dollars. So that money you would use, let's say, to go towards a new iPhone or new clothes or new Hey Dude Shoes or Crocs or a cup of coffee or video games or whatever else. Imagine you took that money and said, you know what, I just want to give to the church. I want to give and I want to help fund, let's say, just a missionary to go. And let's say you help fund, even just with $5, you help that missionary go across seas to a country we might not have ever heard of or ever meet. And then that missionary is able to reach people for Christ, tell them about Christ, and those people come to faith in Christ. We might not ever see that blessing on this side of eternity. But then once we enter into heaven, we might see, look, because even you gave that $5, that led this missionary to lead all these people to Christ. And now these people are here because you were faithful in just giving that. What you thought was insignificant, God took and used abundantly. And now more people in heaven because of that. That is better than any earthly blessing we could ever imagine. Seeing several people come to know Christ and meet them in eternity and worship God for all of eternity is better than any amount of money we can get in return or any earthly possession. And if I'll be really honest, if if you think getting that earthly possession is greater than seeing some people come to know Christ, then I would just strongly encourage you just to check your heart and intentions on that. But here's the thing, generous giving results in bountiful blessing. God will bless us bountifully if we give generously. So these are some reasons that we are to give and make disciplined use of our time. So, okay, practical ways. Okay, so now we hear, why do we do this? What are practical ways to steward your time and money? So I want to give one practical way for time and one practical way for money to help us with this. So time, map out your weekly schedule. Map out your weekly schedule. So here's what I mean by that, is all of you along with your notes have this sheet of paper. So this is a 24-hour weekly schedule. This is actually something that uh, the last church I was at in Virginia, the student pastor uh, encouraged me, sat me down when I started working on my master's and started searching for jobs, doing everything else. He's like, I want you to sit down. And he's like, I want you to write out, map out, Excel spreadsheet, whatever you want to do, like what your weekly schedule is going to look like for that entire semester. So he's like, if you are sleeping, you're writing it down. I'm sleeping from this time to this time. If you are waking up and getting ready and showering and all that stuff in the morning, you're blocking off and writing what that is. If you're having breakfast, if you're going to school, if you're going to work, whatever the case is, if you're reading for fun, if you're working out, if you're at practice, whatever the case is, you write all of that out. Because then what it realizes is, when you put that out, not only does it help you stay organized and just kind of organizes your schedule for the semester, but also really reveals, man, I'm spending a lot more time on this than I really should be. Or, hey, that gives me a lot more time I could be spending on this, or I need to spend more time on this. It helps us to organize and reveal a lot of that. So this is one way it just helps so much. In fact, just an example, here's the one I had uh, for last semester that I used of like when I would be sleeping, when I'd be waking up and getting ready, when I'd be having my quiet time, if I'd be traveling to work, if I'd be, let's say, prepping a lesson, if I'd be eating lunch or supper or breakfast, um, if I would just be reading for school or for fun, or if I'm working on a class, which class am I working on during that time? If I'm spending time with Rebecca, what am I doing? And so this helped me stay organized And so it pointed out ways where it's like, wow, okay, I can move some of this time to this day throughout the rest of my semester and it helps me in this area. So it's like, man, I'm not being able to take care of as much schoolwork. Okay, then I can move some time around to take care of that. 
or we just adjust it. It helps us stay organized on this. This is just one way to help you. So I would strongly encourage you just tonight or before this weekend is to write that out, just to write that out and look at it. Second way when it comes to money is I'll just, a lot of times we like to use apps or electronic things. I would say the Every Dollar app. It's, it's an incredible app. It's actually the one that Rebecca and I used to help us with our budgeting. And so this is what it looks like. This is uh, by Dave Ramsey and all his people. They put this together. So what you can do is if you know like how much money you're going to take in. So if you know, okay, I'm expected to take in one or two paychecks a month and I know exactly what it's going to be or roughly how much it's going to be, you can put that in. And then you can put how much you plan or expect to spend on, let's say, car insurance or gas or equipment for stuff or clothes or fast food, whatever, you name it. You can put that in what's planned and then you put on the other side, that's how much you actually spent. So then you see, okay, you have this much left to budget, you have this much left to use, or it shows, man, you budgeted this much and you spent way over that. Or you're thinking, man, I'm spending a lot more on this when I can move some of this money around and use it on whatever, fill in the blank. So it helps keep us accountable, it helps show just what we're spending our money on, it just helps us balance that even now while we're young. And something else I would, I would tie to this too is, um, is honestly, a great person you could talk to in the church is Bo Davis. He normally teaches our Financial Peace University class, and he loves helping people just like get their finances straight, living out wise biblical principles and managing money. He loves it. I would so encourage you to, to go ask him like, hey, how do I work on this? Or how do I balance a budget? Or how do I plan these things? One, I think it'll just be floored that a, a student's asking that. But two, it would be such a joy for him too because that's him serving. That's him serving and helping you in this sense. So this helps us manage not only our time, but also our money well. Because again, we are called to be stewards of what God has entrusted us with. So hopefully this has showed, okay, how are we managing the time that God has given us? How are we managing the money that God has given us? Because ultimately we're gonna have to give an account for that. So why don't we start right now? Why don't we start tonight in implementing the spiritual discipline of stewardship? So that way it helps us grow more in Christ's likeness. It helps us point other people to Christ. It helps ultimately, as our goal at LSM, is to make Christ's name known. So let's pray. So Lord, we just, we thank you. We thank you that, that you even entrust us with anything. We thank you for how you've entrusted us with the time you've given us, the life you've given us. For some of us that may be in here, the money you've entrusted us with us. Would you help us? and find us being good stewards of what you've given us. Would you help us just be faithful in that? Would you help us discipline our time to where we can use that to grow more in our relationship with you? Would you reveal ways that in things we're spending more time in that we shouldn't be and cut back on that in order to spend more time with you and reading our Bibles and, and praying to you and serving in different ways? Or would you encourage us tonight by ways maybe we have been budgeting our time and money and efforts in order to grow more in Christ's likeness and point people to you? Would you help us? This is so necessary for us. Would you help us be diligent in that? It's only by your grace we can do any of this. And so by your grace, would you help us start even tonight implementing these things in our lives to be good stewards of what you've entrusted us with. So when we stand before the judgment seat, we will look back and we will not regret that because Christ worked in and through us and helped us every step of the way. Would you help us surrender all to you and by your grace, give it all back to you in use and ultimately to make Christ's name known. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name.